Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. You're listening to episode 29 of Star Wars Bookworms, your source for discussion and reviews of the new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics, DK Publishing, Del Rey Books, and soon Marvel and Disney Publishing. I'm your host, Teresa Delgado, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Goins. Hey, Aaron. So many publishers. But so awesome. I guess out of all of those, the only one that we're going to get to drop off is Dark Horse eventually, but... Yep. But it's cool, at least, that it's, you know, continuing as opposed to being the death of our podcast. True. Yes. The, the EU may be dead, but the Star Wars, uh, what do they call it now? Publishing world. Publishing world. The Star Wars literature world is alive and well. So, yeah, we have plenty of stuff to talk about and almost too many books and comics coming out now to fit into our monthly schedule. We might have to go bi-monthly. Bi-we- <gasps> bi-weekly? Bi-weekly, bi-monthly, two times a month. (laughs) Yes, bi-weekly would be, uh, I don't know, maybe. We'll see. So we have a guest that's coming up later for our review of the comic for this episode, Darth Vader and the Cry of Shadows. But for now, it's just going to be you and me. Hopefully you're okay with that. I think I can deal with it. Okay. But we wanted to jump into some emails first, and this is something we're going to do where we read a couple of emails that were sent over to us in between shows. So the first one is from Kenny Crowley Jr., and he says, Dear Teresa and Aaron, hello there. Hello there? Is that what he's saying? Hello there. Great episode of Star Wars Bookworms, as always. On the Star Wars Marvel comic news, I like the direction where the comics are headed. Sure, some fans have complained, oh, it's the OT era again, but for me, this is a good start, plus there will be other comic stories from the other eras of Star Wars down the line. This is good news, not bad news, like some fans think it is. On the Clone Wars novel announcement, I like that it is going to be featuring some unaired Clone Wars scripts and featuring Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss. Can't wait to get that novel when it comes out. Keep up the good work, guys, with Star Wars Bookworms, and may the Force be with you always. Sincerely, longtime listener, Kenny Crowley Jr. Yeah, I think he has good points about the Marvel comics, but I will admit I'm still not jazzed that it's all OT again. Kenny, I think you're talking directly to me when you said that fans have complained, oh, this is the OT era again. Yeah, I was one of those fans, and I'm pretty sure you wrote this email right after listening to me say that. So he's pointing his finger at me, Teresa. He is. He's pointing it at me, too, because I feel the same way. And But you know where he says that there are going to be other comic stories from other eras? We don't know that. That's true. I mean, it... It makes sense that that would happen, but yeah, we don't know that. It's not a guarantee, but I I applaud his optimism, and it's always good to be optimistic about these things, so hopefully he's right, and they will explore other eras other than staying safe with the original trilogy. Yeah, but it's not. I really don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to go back into my favorite era. era. Like, I just don't. Yeah. I don't. I mean... Bye bye, old, old republic. republic. Is it's that what you're talking fun. about? Yeah, yeah that, it's been you're right. Fun. I really hope they have some sort of an old republic comic series from Marvel. I think that would be great. But yeah, you're right. I think that might be something that we don't see for quite a while. Or ever. 
but or maybe ever. Sad face. Maybe we'll get more novels though. Ooh, that'd be nice though. I'd prefer novels to to comics for that era, anyways. But um, yeah, me too. He also brought up the Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss novel, which we have a little bit of news about coming up later. So um, we will get into that in a little bit. But we did get another email. We actually got four emails here. So um, Teresa asked for emails on our, I think it was two episodes ago, and people heard her and actually sent in some emails. So uh, this one is from, I believe, Lini, and it says, Hi, I just wrote in to say that the podcast's great and very informative. Your discussion on the upcoming books is great. I personally am ecstatic on all of them, and I'm glad to see that while the Clone Wars series may be done on the TV, the plot still has some holes and that Lucasfilm Disney is filling them. Thanks for the great podcast. Well, thanks for the great email, Lini. Yeah, I'm glad that we're getting the book to fill in some holes as well. I yes. was actually quite surprised when they announced it and very excited. So that was something they caught me off guard with. And we got the Darth Vader, or not Darth Vader, God forbid, another one of those. Darth, <laughs> the Darth Maul comic uh, that was also based on Clone Wars scripts, which I believe as we're recording uh, today on Thursday, I think that series wrapped up yesterday. Yep, issue um, number four. With the fourth issue. So, And I think some pretty big stuff happened. I haven't read, I haven't read beyond the first issue because I was kind of waiting for the trade paperback to come out. But now I'm thinking I might need to go buy the individual issues because everybody's talking about it and I don't want to get spoiled. Yeah, good good point. Good point. So our next email um, is from Sandro George, and he says, Hi, Aaron and Teresa. Love the show. The interview with Drew Carpishan was awesome. It was very insightful. I hope you guys can interview more great authors. Well, we are certainly going to try. I also like the review on Dawn of the Jedi, and like you, I'm sad that it's coming to an abrupt end. I just wanted to elaborate on one of the comments on Zesh and Trill with the face tattoos. The tattoos are letters in Arabesh. Force-sensitive slaves are tattooed with the lettering by their Rakatan warlord and become future Force hounds. Love the podcast, Sandra George. I didn't know that, so he taught me something. Did you know that? Yes. Oh, well, apparently I, I just don't pay attention. <laughs> I might, I don't know, I think they did mention that, yeah, because they say something about if one of them gets killed in battle, they can match the tattoo to the correct warlord so they can return their body or something like that. Oh, how did I miss that? Yeah. Do I just not remember that? That's probably just the case. <laughs> But we are trying to get more author interviews. We're um, lining up some more. Um, you know, a lot of times it comes down to scheduling and when we can get people, you know. And we did we did just interview another one. So probably since he sent us this email, we mm -hmm. did uh, just have the interview with Adam Bray. So, um, Sandro, if you haven't heard that one yet, go check that one out. It's a really good interview with him. And we're going to be talking about his books uh, later on in this episode as well. And for our last email, this is from Martin. And this, this one says, The last Bookworms podcast told me to send an email. So here's my email. I do love your show. It's kind of fun to hear about books. I've never really read a Star Wars book. Funny thing is, I'm 45 years old, and I've never read a book at all. And then in parentheses he says, close your mouth. Kind of sad, I know, right? Ha, ha, ha. I was one of those kids in school. As long as I was good, they passed me. Smiley face. But still, thanks for a good show podcast. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I love how you were, how you actually like said ha ha ha, ha and ha, then ha. how you said smiley face. <laughs> how else do you do it? I yep. don't. Know. 
if it was a video <laughs> podcast, I could have done it like with my hands or something. But um, yeah, so um, hopefully the, this has changed and you have actually read a book now that you're listening to a podcast about books. So, so Martin, I hope that we've inspired you to, uh, to start reading. Um, it's never too late. Never too late I mean, to read. I'm glad that he, one, knows how to read, knows how to spell, and knows how to write. Those are important things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, you know what? I'm actually really impressed with this one, Aaron, that he hasn't read a book, but he is listening to our podcast about books. That is really awesome because I mean, he, he hasn't read them, so he doesn't really know the whole story and we don't always go in and discuss every single plot point, but that he enjoys the show enough to write us an email and to keep listening is pretty awesome. Yeah. But Martin, read a book. <laughs> read read the new Quinlan Voss and Asajj Ventures book. That one doesn't come out for a while. Read, or read a, a new dawn. A new dawn, yeah. Read a new, read a dawn, new dawn, and then we'll we'll have a review of that. And uh, actually, if you do read it, Martin, let us know that you read it, and uh, maybe we'll actually we maybe we'll have you on the show, and you could tell us what you thought about it. That would be really cool. We'd love to do that. So, and speaking of books that we're gonna that we're reading right now, we did have a book club book for July, and I know we talked about that before in another episode, but we. We read Deceived by Paul S. Kemp. Um, we, we, that discussion is actually still going on. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you've read that book or if you want to read it now and jump on over to Goodreads and check out our book club there, just search for Star Wars Bookworms. You should find our book club. Join it. Yeah, so it's, it's really good. A lot of great conversations going on over there. So if any of you listeners have read that book, jump in uh, to that conversation. People are still talking about it. Uh, we didn't do a book for August. Uh, we kind of took the month off uh, as far as reading a new book. Just because of, uh, a lot of the book, you know, we got a lot of materials to read from, you know, Adam Bray's books and, and A New Dawn is, has been shipped to us, so we're reading that now. Um, and then we have Dragon Con coming up, so we decided to take a break. But um, I believe for September we will be, um, you know, deciding on what book we're going to be reading for that uh, pretty soon. Yeah, we will. And we'll put, we'll make announcements on all of our social media and stuff like that so that people can uh, go and vote because we do vote. We don't just, just dictate. Yeah, although. This, although. although, I was kind of thinking this might be a good time because A New Dawn is coming out in September. And to do A New Dawn. Because it's so popular and, I, you know, it's the first of the new, you know, kind of canon uh, novels. It might be fun to just do that, like, as a book club book so <laughs> everyone can go out and buy A New Dawn and, uh, and we can all discuss it and read it together. I agree. I love that idea. Okay, we're going to be reading A New Dawn in September. All right. September Decided. Book Club, A New Dawn. I can't remember the release date, but I think it's pretty early in September. So we'll start uh, the discussion on the release date, and then we'll just have that as our September book. Cool. So um, we are going to Dragon Con. We are. That is like a week away. Yes, and this is uh, your first time going to Dragon Con, which is it really is awesome. It is my first time. It is your second time. Yes, right? it is. It is my okay. second time. I was there last year. This year we are going with uh, some other people from the Star Wars Report, Riley and Bethany. If any of you listen to that podcast, um, we'll be there as well. I know there's going to be a number of other people from other podcasts, just other fans that are all going to be down at Dragon Con. So um, if you, we'll be kind of hanging around the Star Wars track room. You know, We'll be doing other stuff too because we have other interests. But we will be at the Star Wars track room a lot. So if you happen to be going to Dragon Con and you recognize one of us, don't be shy. We're friendly. Come talk to us. Let us know what you think about the show. Well, I'm friendly. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're you're a little more you're a little more socially adept than I am, but I'm not too bad. So no, you're not bad, and we're not 100 percent sure on this, but I'm gonna tell them this anyway, and it may not pan out, but um, there is a possibility that we may be moderating the author panels at DragonCon. So if that comes true, it will be super awesome and really fun. But if not, we'll just be at the panels. So either yeah. way, you can definitely find us there. Um, we yeah, have well, lots of other interests, though. I mean, you know, we love Doctor Who. We love Disney stuff. We love Once Upon a Time. Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Harry um, Potter. Yeah. There's so, all that stuff going on down there. So We're going to be running around all over the place. Yes. And if, we're, if we do end up being or moderating a panel, that'll be awesome. But if we're not, <coughs> we'll be in the crowd live tweeting the panel. So just follow our Twitter feeds. You know, Ice Cold Penguin, A.V. Goins... You know, SW Bookworms, follow those Twitter feeds, and we will be live tweeting, you know, pretty much the entire con from different panels or just different stuff that we're doing, posting pictures and stuff like that. So it'll be cool. fun. That's I mean, next I, week. I knew That's we were a... doing that, but now that you've um, announced it, now sweet. we have to do it. Now we have to do it. <laughs> and that's uh, what's the date on Dragon Con? Um, the, the 29th, 29th okay. through the 1st. Yeah, so. This episode is probably going to be released on the 25th. So, yeah, Dragon Con is this weekend. Yep. Wow. That's really fun. I don't know why, but I just got really excited. It's going to be fun. It's a fun time. Dragon Con is a unique convention, but a very fun convention. And uh, I haven't been to a con in a while, so that's probably why I'm excited. By the way, A New Dawn comes out on September 2nd. September 2nd, perfect. That's you know right at the beginning of the month. So And right at the end of Dragon Con. <laughs> so uh, something I'm really excited about is the, the Asajj Ventress Quinlan Voss novel. And we didn't really get a lot of news about it. We did get a picture from it that showed Asajj Ventress Quinlan Voss you know, you can't really see his face, but it, it's implied that he's on there as well. Um, and But we didn't really get much info beyond just the image and the, the release date, which is next summer. So, But just a couple days ago, uh, somebody came across the synopsis for the book, which... Do you want to read it, or do you want me to read it? I'll read it. Okay, you read it, and then we'll talk about what we think about it. Sounds good. The last story never told in the Clone Wars television saga... A tale of trust, betrayal, love, and evil, starring the hugely popular ex-Sith, never-Jedi, female bounty hunter, Asajj Ventress. A tale written but never aired, now turned into a brand new novel with the creative collaboration of the Lucasfilm Story Group and Dave Filoni, executive producer and director of Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. When the Jedi decide to target Count Dooku, Darth Tyrannus himself, they turn to his ex-apprentice, Asajj Ventress, for help in getting close to the slippery Sith Lord. But when unexpected sparks fly between Ventress and Quinlan Voss, the unorthodox Jedi sent to work with her, the mission becomes a web of betrayal, alliances, secrets, and dark plotting that might just be the undoing of both Jedi and Sith. And everything in between. Sparks fly! Are they going <laughs> to fall in love? That's what I was going to ask you. I have thoughts on this, by the way. This is like this tiny synopsis has completely changed my expectations for this novel. Um, but yeah, the whole line that sparks fly between Ventress and Quinlan Voss. How do you interpret that? I interpret that as them having a romantic relationship. Oh, uh, really? Is that girly? 
No, I mean, it's true. That's how I interpreted it as well. Or it could be sparks fly, like, you know, butting heads because they're Jedi and Sith. And they don't trust each other. Earlier in the synopsis, it says, A tale of trust, betrayal, love, and evil. So, based on the sparks flying comment and then the idea that there's a tale of love, I'm thinking there is going to be some kind of a love connection between Voss and Ventress. And I don't know how I feel about that. I'm excited. Is that weird? No. I mean, it's not weird. I think it's interesting. I think it's like something I never, ever, 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 ever thought would ever happen. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, it's, it's completely out of left field in my mind. And I think that makes sense for it though. Like with the Clone Wars and with what Dave Filoni does, that makes sense. It, yeah. It just seems weird. Ventress doesn't, I mean, I like how she kind of flirts with the Jedi when she fights them. She's got kind of that, you know, that personality, the the kind of sexy persona. But her, like, falling in love with them. Ventress is sexy? Yeah, kind of. I mean, she doesn't, well, I'm not going to get into it. I'm just going to dig myself in a deeper hole if I try to explain myself on that one. No, please. Please do. Please explain. She has a, like, a sexy way of the way she uh, carries herself, and she's confident and the way she moves and she flirts with Obi-Wan especially when they when they fight and um, she is sexy. I would agree. Okay, good. I, thought. I would agree, especially in her night sister's outfit. So, I don't know, her bounty hunter outfit is pretty awesome. But she doesn't seem like the type to kind of like fall in love more than just kind of flirt and you know, do her own thing. She's so independent, you know, and in Voss is, uh, Yeah. Go ahead. I just I guess I'm kind of like the because I've read so many of the comics or all of the comics that involve Quinlan Voss, that I kind of have a certain way of thinking about him, and it's hard for me to, to separate him from that. And he had a girlfriend in the comics, um, you know, a love interest that he ends up having a child with, and, you know... Really? Yeah, so, spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't read those comics, but they've been out for quite a while. Um, but yeah, so he had, you know, he has this love interest, he ends up you know, having a baby with her and they kind of run off together and he survives the Clone Wars and you never hear from him again. And that's kind of how the comics end. Um, so to kind of try to separate myself from that storyline of Quinlan Voss and imagine that he would have a love interest with Ventress. Um, yeah, it's a little weird for me. Yeah, but remember we talked about how you have to be able to separate the EU from what they do. And I realize that this is a book, but this isn't the new Lucasfilm story group, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And Dave Filoni's always done stuff that has contradicted you know, anything that we learned from books or comics. I mean, the Mandalorians are a key thing in all that. Yeah. Um, Surprisingly, the Clone Wars series, as much as it did contradict things that had come before, it never, uh, other than a couple of examples like, um, um, oh, what was that, Evan Peel character, mm-hmm. you know, where that was kind of a huge difference, um, Ara Singh not being force sensitive, you know, little things like that, but could kind of be explained away, but it never really dropped any huge bombs into the, the old continuity. Others may disagree with me on that, but... This one is a little bit more, and I don't know. I mean, we're just really, I'm kind of speculating based on a a two-paragraph synopsis, you know, but it would be a bigger deal um, as far as contradictions with this one, I believe. And who knows, I mean, if Ventress dies in this or if Voss dies in this, you know, that's even more 
you know, differences. But like you said, you're right. You know, we do need to separate ourselves from the old EU because this is a new canon. But still, those elements are always going to be bouncing around in my head. Yeah, I can see that. But I don't think that a love between Ventress and anybody, but specifically between Ventress and Quinlan Voss, is going to be a truly, madly, deeply kind of love. I think it's going to be, you know, a very, like, catty, you know, flirty sort of, like, that kind of love, you know, if there was a a love story. Like, it's going to be a more volatile love story. <laughs> yeah, and it does, it does say it's a tale of trust, betrayal, and love. So maybe they fall in love and then maybe one of them has to betray the other one. <gasps> Ooh. So sounds See, like I can you're, speculate like you're on more stuff like excited. this, but I can't speculate on like episode seven. <laughs> but and another thing interesting to point out from this is the uh, Jedi have decided to target Count Dooku, um, which is a storyline from the Quillen Voss comics that they are trying to hunt Dooku down and they send Voss in to go undercover. Um, and to kind of pretend that he's going dark so he can get closer to Dooku. So I thought that Maybe was Maybe that's what happens. Maybe he pretends that he's going dark, and then Ventress finds a counterpart that has an awesome personality that she can kind of relate to, and then she realizes that he is, in fact, a Jedi, and thus she feels betrayed. We'll see. It's, uh, it, you know, the more no, I've talked to you about excited. it, Teresa, because I, I, when I first read the synopsis, I was... I was kind of like, oh, really? That's the way they're going with it? But, yeah, the more we talk about it, the more I could see this still being a pretty cool story. It's going to be a cool story. I think they knew, they were like, Aaron wants a Quinlan Boss story, so we're going to write him a book. Yeah, that's true. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that I had a big impact on their decision-making. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, have to ask, uh, I'll have to ask Arish about that next time we see him. Yeah, no, please do. Please do. And speaking of, while we're here, I want to thank Arish, um, since you brought him up. He graciously sent us two autographed copies of A New Dawn, and that is awesome. So thank you, Arish. Yeah, and for any listeners that don't know who the heck we're talking about, um, this is uh, one of the editors at Delray Books, Arish Schoenweiss, who who has been very kind to us and uh, providing us with review copies for the novels and uh like Teresa said he sent us uh autographed uh books from uh San Diego Comic Con so that was really really nice of him. Yeah, great friend of the show. And we'll eventually have him on at some point, but with everything being the way it is over there right now, um we just got to wait a little bit, but I can't wait to have our friend on the show. That will be great. So, let's jump into it. We um got a chance to interview Adam Bray and that was on our last episode. And we also were graciously sent over some of his two books that he's done um, from DK Publishing. So we thought that it would be a good idea to review these books. So we're going to start with his first one, which is What Makes a Monster. It's a DK Adventures young reader novel. Um, when did this come out, Aaron? Um, I believe it was April. Um, I'm not sure the exact date, but I believe this one came out in April. So not too long ago. It's a pretty new book. I wouldn't call it a novel per se, a, a young reader's novel, more than a, a kind of a guidebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, a little bit of a guidebook, maybe. Yeah. But um, reference guide. What what age group would you say this one's targeted at? Um, with the size of the print, I would say that we're looking at 
probably eight to ten. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, size of the print, the infographics that they use, um, and some of the verbiage. Yeah, probably definitely eight to ten, maybe eight to twelve. Yeah, it's definitely aimed to a younger audience, but there's there's a lot of really cool information in it. So even if you're, you know, kind of an older reader, like an adult like we are, um, or even an older, you know, teenager, um, I would still recommend picking this one up just because of all the cool information that's in it. And it's a fun, you know, one just to kind of flip through and look through, you know, some of the charts and, you know, that kind of stuff. There's actually a lot of information in here that I never knew or would have ever thought to look up. And all of these creatures in the Star Wars universe are so cool, but you never really think about any of this stuff. So I just think that overall it's definitely worth picking up just to learn some cool things. Definitely. So, Teresa, what was, let's, uh, let's hit a couple of the highlights that you saw in the book. Um, what was one of the first things that, you, that kind of stuck out to you? Well, okay, and I didn't put this on our little list, but one of the first things that stuck out to me was actually where they talk about the sea monsters uh, of yeah. um, Like of the Naboo. length, the sizes of them and stuff? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find it. Um, it's on page That's, 12 oh. and 13. Yeah, the sea monsters of Naboo, and they go through the, um, the Colo Clawfish, and I think that's the one. Is that the one when you're riding Star Tours that grabs you? Uh, you're the Disney expert. I don't I know. I think it is in the in the Naboo sequence. I think that's the one that grabs you. Um, grabs your uh, the Star Tours thing. And then there's the Sando Aqua Monster, which is the bigger one. And, you know, Qui Gon says there's always a bigger fish. And then there's some other ones, but it's pretty cool because they put them all, like, on the scale, and they put the Gungan sub on there so you can see how much smaller it is than everything. Yeah, that is cool to see kind of a, a comparison chart like that. Yeah, that is, that's really awesome. What about you? Page 39, or 38 and 39, um, the who is the scariest, and they kind of go through different monsters. And even at, at this point, um, I will point out that I was a little confused in the book because they, they're basically referring to anything that's not like human to as a monster, which to me was a little confusing because I, I guess I was thinking monsters would be kind of like, you know, I get like the, the Wampa or Akle or the Rancor is a monster, but they actually have on here Greedo <laughs> and even Mon. So... I see them more as aliens and not monsters, but I guess they're they're using that term loosely. But yeah, this one's kind of funny because they have like a scary meter with different uh, number of claw slashes as they're rating these different ones. So, uh, for example, Greedo is only a one one <laughs> claw really? slash. You think? <laughs> <laughs> but then the Wampa is a, a you know whopping five on the scary meter. So uh, that that's kind of a cool. The way the page is laid out, um, you know, they they display uh, I think it's six different, you know, creatures here. So that one's that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, and I also like how they say they give it like scary and not scary. So for like the Wampa, they say Hoth Snow Beast, scary, vicious hunter, no more, no mercy or regrets. Not scary. Wampa babies are cute. They sleep a lot. <laughs> <laughs> or like, um, um, let me see the space slug, solitary space monster. He has three slashy marks for his scary meter. Scary will eat anything, including a small asteroid or a starship. Not so scary. Mindless being will eat whatever it can find. <laughs> this is funny. And then let's see. For me, if we move forward, we go to page forty-two and forty-three, and they don't really give you a whole lot of information about the Varactyl, but. I wanted to highlight this because I love the Varactyl as a creature, and I actually am, I have one in um, the Old Republic MMO. He's my, the thing I ride around on. My Jedi has a Varactyl. It's pretty awesome. Um, but they talk about, you know, Obi-Wan's face-off with Grievous and the chase and how fast the Varactyl is. And you know, do you, you know what, the Obi-Wan's Varactyl's name is, right? Um, is it in the book? Well, it is in the book, but I didn't know if you knew it. I mean, I knew it outside of the book, but... I did not know. Her name is Boga. Boga? Mm-hmm. I feel like I've heard that, but I definitely didn't know when you asked me. I'm not <laughs> seeing it on the page either. Is it? Is it it's on, on two, if you look at um, the picture two, Varactyl Speed. He calls his Varactyl Steed Boga. Oh, yeah. Cool. Can you do a, a Varactyl uh, oh, no. imitation? No? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can you? Uh, I was about to try, but no. Nope. I think you just stick one in there. And yeah, I'll, I'll find the post. sound effect, and, I'll, and then I'll go. claim that I did it. All right. So moving forward. Varactyl. Okay, so the Sarlacc, another thing that if – and if you guys have this book, feel free to follow along with us. We're, you know, we got the page numbers here, 84 and 85. Uh, this was something that I did mention in our interview with Adam Bray, but I'll mention it here again, that I was surprised that the Sarlacc had bones. I mean, I guess it makes sense now that I think about it, that you know any any large beast would have to have some sort of a skeletal structure. But I don't know, just the way that they kind of have this cross-section of the Sarlacc, and you can see that it has these, uh, what they call stabilizing limbs, that stick out I guess to kind of hold them up in the sand um, but yeah you can see you can actually see the bones in those limbs and there's joints in the bones as well so just something I just never thought about but kind of seeing it is pretty cool and can I, I have to read this because this is just interesting um, male or female um, sarlax only adult female sarlax can be seen from above ground. Tiny males live as parasites attached to females in the sand far below. Baby sarlax crawl to the surface and wander as nomads for several years until they find a home. Wow. Girl power. <laughs> Just so so random. And in this cross-section picture of the sarlax, did you notice that there's a little Boba Fett yes. trying to escape? <laughs> I love that. Which is kind of funny because... Um, Depending on if this is trying to follow, like, you know, kind of the old story of Boba Fett getting out of the Sarlacc, that's pretty impressive as far down as he is in its digestive system that he ended up finding a way out. It kind of looks like in this picture, like it's a little Boba Fett action figure. It does. It actually <laughs> does. Which I'm wondering, yeah, that is true. 
<laughs> yeah, that was that was a cool page though. What yeah. else, Teresa? You go next. Okay. Um, so on page fifty-two, we have monster food chains. Sorry, we're going backwards now. <laughs> monster food chains. Um, and this is funny because it, they categorize it by seafood, frozen food, and fast food. <laughs> <laughs> and so the seafood, you have the Sando monster, and then that colo monster and then the opie which is the one that has like the light on his you know tentacle yeah or whatever and that's all on naboo and then for frozen food you have a wampa and then just one thing that he eats which is a tauntaun which makes me super sad for the tauntaun however there's been some discussion on twitter post our interview with adam bray about having a tauntaun taco truck at celebration i don't know if you've seen these tweets aaron what kind of i have not you, you, yep. you need to tell me about these things. Uh, okay, so there's been some talk about what a wampa would eat and whether it would prefer to eat a human or prefer to eat a tauntaun. And a lot of people are saying, well, it would probably prefer to eat a tauntaun. And that there should be a tauntaun taco truck. So like a food truck that sells tacos, but it could be named the tauntaun taco truck. And, <laughs> and what, that kind should... of, what kind of meat would be in the tacos? Tauntaun meat, but obviously it would be just be taco yeah. meat, like like, like ground beef or t- chicken. Maybe you could have different kinds of. That would be like, great. Yeah, like chicken like, would be like tauntaun, and like ground beef could be like, I don't know. It'd be like um, uh, like a nerf. What's nerf herders? I don't know what a nerf looks like though. Or, it could, or a nerf could be a womp rat. Or like yeah. a nerf. Anything like with the word rat beef. in it is not something I want. I don't know. I don't know, but you get my point. Like if yeah. there are different kinds of tacos. Like chicken, beef, and pork, or whatever, and then they could be different, you know, Star Wars names for the different kinds. So, like, if I got a Tauntaun taco, it would be like the chicken taco. I hope somebody has forwarded this information on to uh, Celebration, because oh, this is a should. this is a winning idea. <laughs> I like it for sure. I like it. So then we go to fast food, and in this one, this one's funny to me that it's the Rancor, and then Gamma Rangard. <laughs> it's fast food. <laughs> he wasn't that fast. That was sad. <laughs> that whole scene. Yeah, that whole scene. The poor guard dies, and then the rancor ends up dying, and the the you know the rancor keeper was so sad. That's that's always a sad part in that movie. Kind of made me laugh though. <laughs> it's because you're meaner than me. <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> All right, moving forward. One eighteen. When monsters attack. Gives us a nice kind of rundown of some of the heroes of the saga and different creatures that they've come up against. Uh, for example, the Nexu versus Padme, uh, Aklay versus Obi Wan, which is one of my favorite parts of Attack of the Clones. Oh, um, the Nexu and Padme is mine. Yeah, and then of course they mentioned the uh, Rancor versus Luke, which is a iconic battle as well. So that was that's a pretty uh, cool page as well. I think the monkey lizard versus R2 is hilarious because he does try and peck out his eye. He does. Um, and then um, the Minoc versus Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess Solo never really... I, they, maybe they should have just gone with like the space slug in general. Yeah, because... Kind of makes just, Han Solo seem a little lame. A little bit. In comparison to the other ones. So then we move on to um, page 120 and 121, and this is Monster Records. And this is pretty cool. Um, They talk about, like, who are the fastest, the most venomous, the longest living, the heaviest, the longest, and the strongest. And I would just like to point out that the fastest is the Varactyl. 
at 330 kilometers per hour or 205. I want one in real life. You have one in the Old Republic. I know, in my game. Actually, this is something I'm pretty upset about, is that I wasn't really collecting too many toys when um, Revenge of the Sith came out. Well, I was, but I wasn't into certain things, and I didn't realize that there was actually a Varactyl toy that was released by Hasbro, and I missed it. And now to get it is so expensive. But I want it. And Tauntauns can go 53 miles per hour, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, and they only have two legs, so that is that's pretty impressive. So let's see. The heaviest would be the space slug. Um, longest living would be the sarlacc. But yeah, it's pretty cool how they can compare all that kind of stuff. I mean, the what makes a monster book? It's a it's a really fun read. Um, even though it, it is kind of aimed at kids, and, I, and to be honest with you, I never would have picked this one up um, if I just saw it on the shelf. Just because you know it, it looks like a kid's book, you know when you when you first open it up, is the large print might scare off some of the older readers. But really, when you dig into it and get into the information, it's actually a really fun read, and um, I'm glad that I'm glad that I had a chance to go through this one. The nice thing about it is that it's only five ninety nine, um, and it's a pretty decent sized book, and it's only five ninety nine, so that's pretty cool. So I would get this one. Any Star Wars person that likes reference guides and. Stuff. Stuff, I would get it. Yeah, and get it for your kids too. If you have a, you know, if you have a kid that's in the right age range, for or even younger than that, I think, um, you know, probably even as young as five, uh, could enjoy this one. Yeah, it's definitely something you could read with your kids too, um, and you could read it along with the movies. So when the different characters come up and you, you know, have read and looked at it, and you can point them out. So let's move on to the I guess kind of the book that Adam Bray is more known for right now because of the excitement that's leading up to Star Wars Rebels um, and this was one of the big things that came out that really gave us a lot more information about the series before the series has even aired and that's the uh, Star Wars Rebels the visual guide and this one is kind of you know it's got character bios weapons uh, vehicles droids like all of the information from from the series and uh, really sheds some light on some of these characters and gives us information that we didn't know. Right. And um, if you want to follow along with us, similar to how we just did the um, Monsters book, we're going to be going through this by page um, and pointing out things that we like. So to kind of start off, I just want to say that like the opening, like inside before you even like turn the first page is so cool looking because it's just like orange stormtroopers. Um, they just have like an orange tint to them, and it just looks really cool. Yeah, I mean the artwork all throughout this book, and I, I'm assuming it's just taken from you know the Rebels series, like you know the character models that they that they have already. It doesn't look like any of it's like hand drawn or anything like that, but just the way that they lay everything out, and you know, kind of some of the pictures with the text on them, you know, like you were you were pointing out the the first page with the stormtroopers. Well, if you flip right past that. You know, you come up to, you know, the text, even a tiny spark of rebellion, then you flip it, and you have this really cool picture of Sabine and this explosion going on behind her, and it says, can ignite a blazing inferno. And just the way that it's laid out, um, it I love that about this book. Like, it's very visually stunning. Like, it catches your eye on almost every page. I agree, and I love that they started off with purple. <laughs> yeah, well, we get orange and then purple. I guess now would be a good time to kind of say we will be discussing some of the details in the book so if you're worried about 
you know, you want to go out and get the book first and you don't want to hear some of this information that might give away certain elements from the show or if you want to avoid all of that stuff altogether before you watch the show, we will be kind of digging into some of that. So here's your spoiler warning. Right. Um, I think one of the cool things about this book is that the foreword is actually done by Dave Filoni, and I really like that. I like being able to go into it with sort of his mindset of where he's coming from for Rebels. That was pretty neat. I want his T-shirt. <laughs> like, yeah, the Wolfpack shirt. The Wolfpack shirt, like... That would, that's a shirt that I think he probably purposely doesn't want uh, them to make an officially licensed version of that shirt because he wants to be the only one that has it. But if they put I out, think... like if even if her universe did a shirt like that, or <coughs> or you know We Love Fine or some other but, uh, shirt company that does you know officially licensed Star Wars stuff, man, I would buy that shirt in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, I would too. I would totally buy that shirt. But yeah, Dave Filoni seems to be doing a lot of forwards lately because I think he did the forward for A New Dawn as well. Yes, he did. So the, fir- the first thing I like, we're on page 10 and 11, um, is the timeline that they put in there. And they say that all dates on Lothal are measured LY, which is Lothal year. However, the, the origins of the Lothal calendar are lost in the mists of time. So I think it's cool that they're giving us a timeline to go with and to see where, like, the invasion of Naboo happened, when the Battle of Geonosis happened, Order 66, and then where we meet, um, where Ezra Bridger meets the Rebels. And this kind of tells me Ezra is the center character. Yeah, definitely. Um, I believe he, although I'm kind of getting the feeling that maybe um, Kanan would also kind of be a a very central character. Like they might share kind of the spotlight a little bit. Like like Ezra might be kind of more the the focus character for the younger audience, but then they have Kanan in there who may be more relatable to the older audience. So I feel like those two might be kind of swapping who the main character is, but you're probably right. It probably does lean a little bit more towards Ezra. Yeah, and Kanan may be like more of the maybe adult main character for you. It's going to be Hera for me. So just saying. True, true. Let's jump ahead a little bit here. Okay. Just because of time. They I mean they give us some some information about Lothal on page 16, which is which is pretty cool. Um Well, because we don't know much about this planet. This is the first time we're seeing it, correct? Right. Yeah, this is the first time this planet shows up in Star Wars. Although I believe a lot of the design of it is based on, you know, old concept art. That was meant to be, I believe, Alderaan. Hmm. You know, and I was actually looking for my atlas. Um, oh, I see it. It's way up there. Um, just to see if there was anything about Lothal in the atlas by Dan Wallace and those yeah. guys. But I don't think it is. Yeah, I think that's going to be an original planet for this this uh, series. Do you think that they're going to stay on Lothal the entire series? Or is this going to be something where maybe the... The beginning of the series happens there, but then they travel elsewhere. No idea. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get the feeling they might stick around for a while. Yeah, me too. Um, so we go through a little bit about the Imperials and some information about the capital city. And as you keep going forward... we got Ezra uh, Bridger, first character profile on, on page 22. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit. Um, they talk about who his parents are, Mira and Ephraim Bridger, but they disappeared when he was seven years old. 
So he's basically an orphan, and now he's almost 15, um, and he steals to survive. So he's a Force-sensitive kid. We knew that. And he uses a lot of gadgets and stuff like that. And I think it's interesting that they talk about his hideout and that he has a tower. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty, yeah, that is pretty cool. And that's where he keeps his impressive collection of Imperial helmets. So I, that'll be kind of cool to see. It looks like um, the one helmet he's carrying in the picture has an interesting paint job on it, which makes me wonder if that's a customization. I'm doubting that's the way the helmet looked when he took it from the Imperial. Yeah, probably not. Um, his data file says that he uses an energy slingshot, an Imperial, and has an Imperial helmet collection, backpack, and a lightsaber. That's interesting because at this point, we didn't know if he had one or not. So maybe we get to see him make one? Like Kanan shows him how to make one or something? That or maybe Kanan has one. Or maybe Kanan constructs a new one and gives him his old one. So, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities with that. So that makes me wonder, if they're going to do that, does that mean that they go to... What planet is it? Um, well, I mean, originally it's Tython. But I think that changes, like, in the Younglings arc in the Clone Wars. I don't remember what planet it is that they go to to create their lightsabers. So I wonder if they do any of that. Yeah, that would be interesting if they revisited that. I'm going to guess no, that he has either a fully constructed lightsaber already or he has a crystal that he can give him. Um, but yeah, that's always a possibility. So the page after, so I guess it would be... And he's only, he's only 14, which is something to note as well. I believe um, the youngest of the crew. Mm-hmm. So on 24 and 25, um, is it 24 and 25? Yeah, we get just a really cool image of him standing and the ghost flying behind him and just a quote that says, well, that was fun. <laughs> and then it jumps right into Kanan, uh, Kanan Jarrus. He get his bio page, 26, 27. Um, actually, he's only 28, so I was wrong about his age. Um, but this seems like the character I, I feel like is going to be my favorite. Um and just based on what little I've read of A New Dawn, I haven't, you know, I've, I've only gotten like a few chapters into that. And just the personality that he seems to have, he just seems like he's going to be a very entertaining character. Um, and I always tend to, to enjoy the Jedi characters um, more than the non-Force sensitives. So I think this is going to be my, my favorite character. Yeah, so here's a couple of interesting things. Again, um, guys, if you don't want to know anything about what is going on in Rebels, then um, spoilers. Um, Kanan followed Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi's instruction that all Jedi should go into hiding from the Empire. He is careful not to use his Jedi abilities in public in case he is spotted by Imperials. Um, there is no academy for rebel leaders, however, and to survive, Kanan must tap into those old Jedi qualities of bravery, honor, and perseverance. And then he, they say that he was only 14 years old when the Jedi were wiped out and he never completed his Jedi training He's self-conscious about this, and that's why he hesitates to train Ezra. Yeah, so the, the age correlation there is when he when he um, went through the tragedy of losing the Jedi, uh, he was 14, and now Ezra's 14, so he probably sees Ezra as kind of a... He sees himself probably in him a lot. Mm-hmm. They also note that his boots are his original Jedi boots that he still wears. Oh. So that's kind of cool. He's got a cool outfit. I, 
Um, and it's it's kind of plain, uh, so it'd probably be easy to cosplay. But I was about to say you're gonna cosplay as him, aren't you? I'm not gonna grow my hair out into a ponytail, no. But yeah, he he does look pretty cool. I I definitely I can imagine that at future conventions we will see many people cosplaying as as Kanan. So if we turn the page, so to 28 and 29, we get just an image. It seems like they're following up each biologist, an image, and it's him, and it looks like the Inquisitor is standing behind him, and he says, having a laser sword doesn't make you a Jedi. Or I get, yeah, he says that. Harsh words. So then we get to 30 and 31 to my girl Hera's page. Is this going to be your favorite character? You know, I really thought it would be Sabine, but I'm kind of leaning more towards Hera, but I have a feeling that's because of Vanessa. <laughs> because Vanessa Marshall, yeah. She's so cool, and like, it, it definitely makes characters more likable when the person who voices them is very likable, and you know, so far in the different appearances that she's had, and I know you've met her in person, uh, she seems to be a really awesome person. So, Yeah, and she's become a good friend, so that's also probably part of it. I'm just going to support her character. Um, so Hera is 24. Her original planet is Ryloth, and her ship is the Ghost. We knew that. They are calling her a freedom fighter. Hera's homeworld, Ryloth, had a large resistant move, resistance movement led by the freedom fighter Chom Syndulla, which we knew, I think. But eventually the planet fell to the Empire. The history of Ryloth inspires Hera's fight for freedom on Lothal. Yeah, and she has the same last name um, as Chamsundula, but they don't specifically say that she's related or how she's related. So I feel like that might be something they're saving as a reveal in the show. Yeah, and they also talk a little bit about what we're reading in A New Dawn, that Hera has a special bond with Kanan. They have been working together ever since they met on the planet Gorse six years ago when Hera convinced Kanan to fight against the Empire. Yeah, so there might be a little bit of a, a little bit of romance there between the two characters. We've seen that in some of the interstitials, and then um, Hera's page of art, just of her like in her ship piloting. She says, "We're out of here." <laughs> she looks awesome. She does. She's. I think out of the, out of the female characters uh, between her and Sabine, I, I definitely think that. She seems much more interesting to me than Sabine does. But we'll, we'll talk about Sabine. Uh, she's the next one here, page 34 and 35. Um, and this is kind of the one that a lot of us were wondering about because it's a very unique character. She's wearing Mandalorian armor, although it's not like full-fledged armor. It's almost like she has regular clothes with just certain pieces of the armor, but not like uh, full-body armor. Um and a lot of people were wondering, is she actually Mandalorian or is she just using Mandalorian armor? But in this in this book, it does reveal to us that she is indeed, her homeworld is Mandalore. So that answers that question. Yep. And she's 16. She's a human from Mandalore. They're calling her free spirit. She's the loyal Mando. Though strong-willed and independent, Sabine appreciates her relationships aboard the Ghost. Sabine looks up to Kanan and Hera and thinks of Zeb as an older brother, but she decides to ignore Ezra's awkward attraction to her. Mm. Mm-hmm. That will be awkward. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and then the Starbird, what we have seen is kind of the logo um, for Star Wars Rebels, is of her is her calling card, and it becomes the symbol for the group. Which you can tell by the symbol 
um, that it will most likely morph into what we know as the the symbol of the Re- Rebel Alliance. Yeah. So I I still really like her. I like her look. I like pretty much everything about her, including her artistic ability. I like her sassiness and her independence. Um, I feel like I was her when I was 16. <laughs> I didn't do graffiti, but... Um, and Tia Sirkar is very nice. I've met her, too. Um, so I think that she's being voiced by somebody really cool. And then on her art page, um, she's wearing her helmet, and she says, this is going to be fun. Very fun. Chopper gets his own bio page. Pretty cool. So even the droids are getting uh, love here. He doesn't have an age, though. Nope. Everything about him seems to be unknown. But just from he the clips three that grasping we've... arms. Just from the clips that we've gotten so far with him, he just seems like he's going to be such a hilarious character. Um, yeah, I think he, it's a, it, it feels like in Star Wars we've seen so many different types of droids, and it's like how could they come up with something that's unique? And they really did with this, I think. Um, here's a couple of things that are kind of interesting. Um, they say that Chopper has protected his job among the crew by com- customizing the ghost systems. He has made so many modifications that he is now the only one who can keep the ship running. It's pretty clever. Clever droid. This leads me to believe that Chopper belongs to Hera. Because if he's been around the ghosts that long to do that kind of stuff, and he isn't that in tune with the ship, and the ship belongs to her, then Chopper must be hers. Hmm. And some people were thinking Chopper was was Kanan's, but I think Chopper belongs to Hera. Um, And then they also say that the only thing that Chopper does seem to appreciate is a fellow prankster with a similar sarcastic sense of humor. Of all the crew, Ezra is the most up to the task. So it looks like Ezra and Chopper may be little friends. Nice. It'd be like kind of like Aladdin and Abu. (laughs) Only in this picture it's like Ezra's Abu (laughs) because he's sitting on top of him. All right. Well, let's move on to Zeb. Kind of the muscle of the crew, it looks like. Uh, it says here he's 39. So maybe I was wrong about the older older viewers uh, looking to Kanan as kind of a character they can relate with because he's even older. He's uh, almost 40. He looks like an interesting character, though. I, I think they've done such a great job with all of these characters, really. That There's not one that I'm not interested in. There's some that are more interesting than others to me. But, you know, for the most part, all of these characters just look so well thought out. So, have you ever heard of his species? He's a, a Lasset? Lasat? Yes. Um, that's actually a, a species that was already in the Expanded Universe. So, which is kind of cool that they decided to go with this character design. Um, I believe the kind of the final design that they're using for him strays a little bit from what the EU design looked like, but it's very similar. Um, so, that, that was cool to see that they, they stuck with that. So we're already getting some EU nods even before the show's been released. And, I mean, there's this is just one example of uh, a number of things that have come out from Star Wars Rebels that are direct references to Expanded Universe material. Yeah, and they actually say in here that he's fighting for justice because his entire planet of Laysan... Is it Laysan? I would, I would say Lasan, but yeah. Lasan. Um, was brutally wiped out by the Empire. So, and um, nearly all of his people were wiped out as well. So, we know his motivations. Yeah, and on page 46 and 47, they go into some detail about his weaponry. Um, these which bow, is called a bow rifle. Yeah, these bow rifles that he used, which are pretty cool and similar to the, um, 
what are they called? The vibra swords. Yeah, the vibra staffs that uh, Grievous's bodyguards use, or the manga guards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was uh, interesting. That they, you know, it's very similar in the look of it, and they they kind of point that out in this book as well. So if we keep going forward, forty eight and forty nine, we get some in depth look at the ghost um, and some of the, I guess, anatomy of the ghost. The ghost looks so cool. Like it does. It's uh, one of the best ship designs that they've had since the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it's basically their home, their transporter. It's pretty much everything. So, um, yeah, and we get a lot of uh, we get that um, page for, like you said, forty eight, forty nine. But then also fifty and fifty one, they get into you know even more detail of the cockpit, the the passenger area, that that type of thing. Um, and then uh, the next page, they talk about the Phantom, which is like their shuttle, I guess that they can take, you know, out of the ship and and do. Uh, I don't know. I guess they would use it for maybe reconnaissance missions or that that type of stuff as well. I just think it's cool because the do- ghost doesn't look that big to have a second ship. So I think that would be pretty neat. That would be really neat in a toy if you get the Phantom as well as the ghost. Like you can take the Phantom out. Is there a Lego uh, set that has that? Well, they they have the Lego set of the ghost. Now, I don't know if it also includes the Phantom or not. Hmm. Um, so we keep going. We get some information about lightsabers here. Um, we actually get to see Kanan's and we get to see Ezra's. What do you and... think about the uh, the way the lightsaber <clears throat> looks? Uh, Kanan's or Ezra's? Well, I'm talking more about the blade of, of either of them. Kind of how it has that like uh, almost like sword. a real sword point as opposed to more of a rounded point that, that we've seen before with uh, lightsabers. I think it's interesting. I actually kind of like it more. Yeah, it, it's different. Um, I know the Clone Wars, they had kind of pointed as well, but they were a different type. This is a, they definitely have changed the look of it. Um, but yeah, it does look kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So um, Ezra's lightsaber, basically, I'll just read this. Ezra's, Ezra's lightsaber is a unique design, a product of a, a less civilized age. No Jedi of the old order would have ever considered building a blaster into their lightsaber handle. For Ezra, though, survival is more important than tradition. So he's got a he's got blaster. A, he's got a gun on his sword. Blaster lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. That's something I learned new in this book. Uh, I hadn't heard that before, so that's that is pretty interesting. So if we keep going through, they talk about all the different blasters that are used by Hera, Kanan, and Sabine, which is all pretty nifty and cool. Yep, we get some stuff about stormtroopers, Imperial ground vehicles. I don't... We don't have time to go through every single page, so let's uh, yeah, kind of flip through forward. here a little bit. See what see what catches your eye, Teresa. I'm going to just flip really fast here. Uh, we got uh, up to page 76 now. Um, we get a view of a Star Destroyer, which is interesting um, that we have, you know, kind of the iconic ship, the Star Destroyers, showing up in Rebels, and uh, it looks pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, and then the TIE Fighter... Um, and we get some details about the TIE Fighters. And um, some of the bad guys. So if you get up to, to page 80, this uh, introduces a couple characters named Oresco and Grint. Yeah, Commandant Oresco and Taskmaster Grint, which are going to be some of our bad guys. And Oresco looks kind of... Uh, Tarkin-y? Yeah, he's tarkin He's got the kind of the white, the real pale skin, the sharp cheekbones... 
Yeah, almost like um, like somebody out of a horror movie. A little bit. Is there anything else you want to talk about about them? Uh, I mean, Grint, you know, obviously he looks like he's more brawn than brains. Um, kind of looks like a Disney character a little bit. Yeah, he does. Which I could see. Actually, I see that in a lot of these characters. So if we move forward, we get to see what the Rebel speeder bikes look like. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And um, some stuff about dogfights. So now, here's one. We should stop on Agent Callus. Because um, we've heard about Agent Callus, and he's the Imperial Security Bureau. Callus is a member of the ISB, the secret police who monitor loyalty to the Empire. ISB agents investigate signs of rebellion and brutally crush them wherever they are found. And it looks like on his like blaster that he has, it also has a bayonet. So it's kind of leading to sort of um, brutal ruthlessness Um, yeah and he has another weapon or maybe it's the same weapon in a different mode but he's got like an electromagnetic electromagnetic pulse generator tip on the on the page 87 that you see there which looks similar to kind of what um zeb's weapon has on it as well well they say that on the other page the lace and bow rifle so i guess somehow he managed to um oh okay so he actually took part in the destruction of Zeb's homeworld. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And took his signature lace and bow rifle, or Lassan bow rifle, from there. It is a trophy from a fallen Lassat honor guard whom he defeated in battle. Uh, so yes. we're gonna have, we're definitely gonna have That's some, gonna be, some yeah. confrontation between Callus and uh, Zeb in the future. Yeah. It's a guarantee. Yep. And he has his helmet. Sort of has like a Mandalorian look to it. Like, if you turn the page, you see it on his face. It's yeah. like cut out Mandalorian. It's got kind of a T visor, you know. If it had the, the, the mask part inside there, it definitely would look very Mandalorian. So then we go to a character I have never heard of before Sicatro Vizago. Who's a Deveronian. Um, they're saying he's a Lothal kingpin. So we'll have to see what that entails. Um, the 40-year-old Deveronian, um, as head of the Broken Horn Crime Syndicate, Sicatro Vizago is a source of valuable information in exchange for a shipment of blasters stolen from the Empire. So... And he's got, uh, if you turn the page to page 92, they kind of show his, his ship... Um, and uh, it looks like he's got some uh, assassin droids that are working for him as well, uh, which kind of have an interesting design. Very, mm-hmm. very long legs. Yeah. If you keep going, um, they just kind of go into like some of the more specifics as far as the sizes of all the ships, um, how tall everybody is. Yeah, that's page cool. page ninety seven. That's a cool chart. Uh, we got some and- Wookies. Wolf, Wolf Waro and Kitwar. Oh, look at the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't looked at this page yet. Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> I found my new favorite little creature. Yeah, they're going to have to come out with a, an action figure for him, I think. So you oh, can get that. they have to. I want both of these. Kitwar. Um, That's a good name, too. That's a good He is a great name. Kitwar. Um, and they're from Kashyyyk, but we don't really know much else about them. Uh, they say, from hero to slave, 
Well, Faro's Wookiees are sent to the spice mines of Kessel to work as slave labor. The Wookiees had always lived in the lush forests of Kashyyyk, so the harsh conditions in the mines will not suit them at all. Um, I wonder if they get saved. Yeah, I think that's a good good chance of that. And I know we've seen, at least in some of the clips, we've actually seen a Wookiee, right? I don't know. Well, think- here's something. Um, right next to Kitwar, he says... It says the rebels attempt a dangerous rescue mission to save Wolfaro and Kitwar, along with the other Wookiees. Little Kitwar is terrified when he is thrown into the middle of the conflict that results. Oh no, I don't want to see him sad. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> they have a pretty interesting looking gunship. They do. They do. I like yeah, that. That would be a cool toy. Um, we get I some... want a Kitwar action figure. I'm sure. Well, you know what? I'm going to guess that that doesn't happen. Unfortunately, it seems like a very minor character, but maybe somebody He's could do a in custom the visual for guide. <laughs> um, All right. So we got. Uh, they show us a little bit about the spice mines of Kessel, something uh, Ezra's Jedi training, but then we have a page here, one hundred six, one hundred seven, and we get the image of R two D two and C three PO. So and Bail Organa is and, on this page. True, Bail Organa. They kind of hide him up there in the corner, but yeah, he is. Looks like we're going to see some familiar faces um, in Rebels. Uh, awesome. And then, of course, the big villain, the Inquisitor, page 108, 109. This, yeah, this guy looks he looks like he's going to be a pretty formidable opponent for them. And uh, I really like his character design. I think he's, you know, they, right along with characters like Darth Maul, um, I think he, he has a very striking look to him. And I think he's going to be a fan favorite. Yeah, I do too. I think it's kind of neat that they used a Powin, um, because the last time we saw them was in Revenge of the Sith. Um, and they were like good guys, nice guys. So yeah, this is different, a uh, different take. And I think they they may have changed a little bit. Kind of the I remember in Revenge of the Sith, they seem to have much more elongated heads, mm-hmm. and it feel like they kind of changed the design a little bit to make it a little bit cooler looking, for lack of a better word. Uh, but yeah, he he's a pretty Pretty interesting looking character, and the the fact that they're using Inquisitors, which is something that is from the expanded universe, is kind of cool. And then there's there's all these rumors about Episode Seven that it's going to tie into that too. But you know, who knows if that's just a bunch of hooey? But I was going to say hooey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's anything I should read from that page. Um, let's see. He's a Jedi hunter. The Inquisitor uses the dark side of the Force, but he is not a Sith. The highly intelligent Inquisitor has been trained not only to identify Jedi, but also also to analyze their fighting styles, capabilities, and the Jedi traditions they follow. He is even able to identify a Jedi's mentor. Um, he's a servant of the dark side. Has been ordered by Darth Vader to hunt down the remaining Jedi. We kind of knew that. So that's kind of interesting that he is Force-sensitive, yet not a Sith. Not a Sith, but of the dark side. So, And that's, you know... That's definitely something that's been explored um, in the expanded universe, and you know I think they're kind of they're pulling from that, and it's nice to see that they're you know doing that. But he's even got the yellow Sith eyes, so mm-hmm. I guess they're not Sith eyes more than dark side eyes. So we go into his lightsaber, and then we get to see Kanan versus the Inquisitor, which we knew um, was something that was going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this next page with it, which is Lothal's Academy for Young Imperials. <laughs> Yeah, um, Ezra's in there, which... Um, so, you know what I think? 
I think that his helmet that he has that's painted cool is his young Imperials Academy helmet because it looks like he's holding one right there. So it looks like when he finally decided to leave, maybe leave the Academy because maybe he was in the Academy, he painted his helmet all up. So it looks like, um, to contradict your theory, it does. Mm-hmm. It looks like he wasn't actually at the Academy more than he was there undercover. Mm, he sneaks in. It's, if you look at the paragraph there that says Ezra's mission. So yeah, he he actually goes and imposes as a cadet. So you're right. I believe you're right about how he got his helmet. But um, yeah, I don't think he was actually a cadet more than just posing as one. That's what it looks like here. And then they have um, this new character, um, Zar. Zare? Zar? Leonis? I guess Zare sounds right. Zare. Yeah, he's 14. Um, he becomes a spy for them, giving them inside information about Imperial Command. And I think cool. I saw something about um, there's going to be like a junior novel based on this character. That'd be cool. Possibly. I think I think I saw that. So yeah, that would be interesting. But So I like this next page that has the whole crew all together and it says and Sabine says, We're a crew, a team, in some ways a family. I like that. Yep. And then in the in the back we get some behind the scene information um, on page uh, one twenty one through like one twenty seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they include a lot of cool concept art, um, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, which was provided by Dave Filoni, Joel Aaron, and Simon Kinberg, which um, Adam Bray was telling us about that in our interview as well, how awesome that was that he got to interview all of them. Uh, so you know, definitely check, check out the back of the book because there's a lot of cool inside information there. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much it for the book. I know we spent a lot of time on it, but you know, it's kind of fun to kind of flip through it and you know, just kind of speculate about what's coming up and just glean through this this information that's been given to us. Yeah, I love this book. It's really cool. I do too. Are you more excited for Rebels now? Definitely. Definitely. I'm extremely excited for this show. Um, I, f- I felt like coming out of The Clone Wars that this show might be a little bit of a disappointment because I, was, I just love The Clone Wars so much. But now I feel like, you know, you can just tell the same... The same planning and care went into this show that they put into Clone Wars, and I'm expecting it to be on par with uh, what we got from the Clone Wars. Me too. So let's move on to our comic review. And with our comic review today, we have an awesome guest that we're bringing on all the way from England, uh, from the Jedi News uh, UK, and also from Radio 1138. And just an awesome Star Wars fan all around, Mark Newbold. Welcome to Star Wars Bookworms, Mark. Good morning, Aaron. How are you doing? Great. <laughs> good morning. And good evening to you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It hasn't yeah. been that long since you've been on. I feel like the last time we did a Darth Vader comic, you were here. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was, oh, I can't think how long back it was now. Yes, it's, it feels like ages. There's so much gone on. There's so much going on in, in the Star Wars galaxy at the moment. You, you kind of lose track of the time, don't you? But uh, it's always nice to come in and talk with you guys, especially about stuff like this. Well, you know what I think it was is that we had another member of the Jedi News team. So now we've had two yeah. Brits <laughs> two episodes <laughs> in a row. Yeah, of course. You had Zach on, didn't you? Yeah, what a trooper he is. Great guy. Yeah, that was a really fun conversation with him. We we definitely want to have him on again as well. But I think you're you're kind of becoming our Darth Vader guy. 
because I think me and Teresa are getting really tired of Darth Vader, so we're we're bringing on somebody that may be a little bit more enthusiastic about him. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of Vader comics, hasn't there? So I mean, Dark Horse had that had a good run near the uh, oh now near the end of their tenure, isn't it? So yeah, this yeah this one um, I will say that I was not looking forward to this one, but I was pleasantly surprised, and we can get into the details of why as we talk through it. But before we get into it. Let me just do the publisher summary here. So it is, During the Clone Wars, a single trooper left for dead during battle comes to hate the Jedi generals who abandoned him. Years later, he lives on, bitter and angry, until hearing tales of a great warrior. Now this clone believes he may have found the leader he should have been following all along. Darth Vader. And this one was written by Tim Seidel, artist Gabriel Guzman, which I feel like, what else has Gabriel done? I don't know, but the name sounds familiar. I'm looking it up. Yeah. He did the okay, so he did the Fire Carrier comics. It looks like ah, the dark, the dark time stuff. Dark yeah. times, okay, because I I remember when I just that name sounded really familiar. So I guess we have just recently re- reviewed something else that he's uh, done the art for. Darth th- Vader in the in the Ninth Assassin. <laughs> did he do that one too? I don't know. I'm just looking at the list of the things we've reviewed lately. I'm like Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison. Was it a Darth no. Vader comic? <laughs> no, it looks like he just did the Dark Times uh, fire carrier stuff. So this one, the timeline for this is 17 years before the ba- Battle of Yavin, which I believe that kind of would put it very soon after the Clone Wars. And based on the the storyline in this, it, there was actually uh, some flashbacks to the Clone Wars. So it's it's pretty much right after Revenge of the Sith. But, yeah, it's within a couple of years, isn't it? Yeah. But one of the reasons why I was pleasantly surprised is when... I started reading this comic. I was not looking forward to it because it was another Darth Vader story, and we've gotten a million of those, it seems like, lately. But I was really happy to see that this was a completely different take on it, and it really wasn't a focused on Darth Vader story more than it was focused on this clone. So, Teresa, did you have kind of the same reaction I did? Were Were you happy that it wasn't necessarily a Darth Vader story? I was very pleasantly surprised. And it's not because I don't like I dislike Darth Vader as a character, but I'm just gotten so tired of it. And um I also like that it was a fast read because there weren't a million, you know, like quote bubbles. It was just all like small like thoughts and lots of art. Yeah, it was. It was brisk, wasn't it? It moved. It moved quite smoothly, didn't it? As a story and as a read, it was. A, it was a good, steady read. Yeah, yeah it I sort remember. of felt like you were just, you know, moving at a normal, like story book kind of pace. So we were just talking about the artist and that we had seen his work before. Um, how did you guys feel about how he did for this particular series? Did you like the art? I actually really did like the art, which is kind of interesting because it was a little bit grittier than I normally like. But um, I really like like the very first panel and the very first issue, which is just a lightsaber laying on the ground. And I thought that looked really cool. And then that just kind of continued. Although I'm looking at it right now, and maybe you guys can tell me, but do y'all know who the Jet the very first one that they show that looks like it's Ala Secura, but it's not. The Twi'lek? Yeah. Because yeah. it's not her. No, it's definitely not her. Because she has her liquor braided with stuff. 
So it's not her. I've just never seen her before. So now I want to no. know who that is. Yeah. I think it's random Jedi number one. I, I really don't think there's a story <laughs> behind this character. I think it's just, it is kind of interesting that they decided to go with a very similar look as Ayla Sakura because it could be confusing. You know, some readers might think it's her. But um, yeah, I think it's just a random Jedi that we really aren't supposed to know who she is. Yeah, but now I want to know who she is. Yeah, so we get this clone, which, you know, he basically is the main character. And um, he's got this grudge against the Jedi, which I thought was kind of interesting. They show the scene where he is, you know, he gets shot in the face, which, um, you know, gives him this nice, cool scar. And then he falls out of the ship. But I, I guess he was kind of expecting that the Jedi was going to help him. And the Jedi just turned away, and they just left him for dead. And so he has this vendetta against the Jedi. Did you guys feel like the motivations, you know, worked for you? Because for me, it felt like, man, if every clone that got left on the battlefield was coming after Jedi, then Vader wouldn't even have to have Order 66. They could just let the clones do it. I thought the motivations were good. It made sense. There was a, there's a line in there where he, he, he's, he's sort of talk, he's, he's talking to the camera, isn't he, a lot? You're hearing it through his voice and his lens. And, and he basically says the thing about clones is that every clone, every one clone is important, is as important as every other clone, which means that we're all equally unimportant. So, you know, that scene when he's on the, you know, and he he's, gets hit and the shock on his face and then the, the helmet explodes and he falls back and nobody's there to grab his hand and he just falls away. You know, you can kind of think from the Jedi's point of view, the midst of battle, it's like, well, oh, that's all right, I'll get another one. You know, because they, they're made to be expendable, but the the problem was with clones is that they're also made to be adaptable and made to learn and made to, you know, follow orders, you know, have this hardwire coding of Order 66, but they're still men. And, uh, you know, so that that's kind of part of the genius of, of, of Sidious Stroke Palpatine's plan, I guess, is the way he sets everything up. Um but yeah, I, I got the motivations. I understood why he, why he felt the way he did and, and, and also why he, as he does later, sort of hones in on Vader because there's a very obvious reason why a clone would want to follow you know, Darth Vader. So I kind of was sort of confused the whole time about this because it seems like it's happening all around the same time as Order 66. So I'm like, why are you angry? Y'all just killed all of them. I'd, like, so why I'm, is he still angry at the Jedi? Right, because, like, it seemed to me like that scene with the Twi'lek was that they were killing her in Order 66. Am I wrong? No. I think it was, a, I think it was, yeah, I think it was flashing back to times during during the Clone Wars. Um, yeah, th- that's an element that was maybe a little unclear, that they were, it felt they were hopping backwards and forwards a little bit to, from his memories to the current or maybe I read that wrong. That's how it read to me. No, I, I think you're right. I believe the scene with her was, you know, it was a flashback to a battle during the war before, you know, Order 66. So when he went down, um, by the time he regrouped with the Empire and, you know, joined the the cause again, that was after Order 66. So he was out of the loop, I guess, when Order 66 went down. So he got yeah, left he- for dead before Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, then that he makes probably, a whole lot more sense. Yeah. He falls as a, as a Republic soldier and rises as an Imperial soldier sort of thing. Like, that's how I read it. Right. Yeah. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting how he, 
he came back um, and decided to continue to fight. And I was just wondering like how that worked, you know, when you're coming back to the empire and there, you know, this clone shows up, are they wondering, uh, is he a deserter? Like what's the process on letting somebody back in that they would just kind of let him back in? But there's a nice line later on, isn't there? Where, I mean, I don't want to step too far ahead, but there, there's a scene where there's a fight um, later on in the series and, and he's not impressed with the caliber of the soldiers that he's fighting alongside. And he makes the remark that, when I was a soldier, we were all clones in it together. We all understood our orders. And, and now they're, they're sort of bringing men in who are doing it as a job because they want to get paid. So I don't know who's underneath each of these helmets. They all look the same, but they're not. Right. That's true. Soldier. I knew my brothers were behind me as a team. So, you know, I think maybe a subscribe, you know, a guy could go and sort of join the army as those Imperial recruiting posters keep saying, as we see in Rebels and stuff, you know, and any Tom, Dick and Harry could, could join if they're sort of five foot ten <laughs> which seems to be the only requirement to be a stormtrooper you've got to be about the right height um <laughs> you know but uh, i think that might be that could have explained how he how he managed to get back in because clearly he was a, a skilled and and by that point you know you see him whacking the not you know these little rodent things little big dog rodent things with a rock tied up in his jacket which he seems to do a few times in throughout <laughs> the issues i like that move it's a good move um you know he, he can look after himself so he's, he's clearly a skilled skilled soldier right you know i hadn't thought about that the dynamic of the clones all fighting together and never really having to worry about you know their brothers deserting them versus stormtroopers and them being like all individual army kind of style that's really kind of interesting hmm. it's got to be a pretty big shock to this guy's system because he's so used to fighting only alongside his brothers and then when he comes back and joins he's got to fight against people that you know he obviously saw as lesser soldiers you know it shows later in the comics where he you know he's disgusted by the way that these these soldiers are acting so it's it's got to be a bit of a shock to his system and maybe he's kind of eventually second guessing you know what well, maybe i didn't join you know the right cause which i guess we kind of see later on yeah i mean he didn't have much choice i mean you know as a, as a as a bred soldier he follows whoever he's told to follow um but at this point of of, of his life is you know his life cycle and he, and he says in there you know i'm a clone I, I my youth passed very quickly maybe my old age will pass very quickly i don't know where it's all going to go sort of thing but um uh, you know, he he had to follow who he had to follow. But I think the reason that he's so bitter towards the Jedi is when he's on that carrier and he falls. There's no st- there's no clone trooper looking at him, but the Jedi is. So you know, one of his brothers wasn't even there to see him get hit and fall. You know, and he knows that, but the Jedi did. So you can kind of understand that as a soldier, with knowing that every everybody under those lids looks exactly the same as you, and they're all they've all been through the same experiences, all cloned in the same tanks and all that sort of stuff. That if they could have grabbed him and saved him, they would have done. And if they couldn't get to him, they, then they couldn't get to him, and he would accept that. And I think all all clone troopers would probably accept that. So yeah, I, I like the motivations for why he does what he does. So one of the more interesting characters that they introduce in this comic is another clone by the name of uh, Kadic, and the it, psycho it, clone. Yeah, the psycho <laughs> yeah. clone, which which was a kind of a cool element. I was kind of curious when they they. They introduce the character, and then they kind of go away from it. And you know, okay, they're not going to introduce that crazy of a character without that coming back somewhere in the story, which it does. But I, how did you guys feel about that addition to the story, uh, that particular character, at least the way they portrayed him initially? 
um, kind of this crazy, you know, bulked out clone that, you know, has gone mad. Well, when they first started talking about it, I was going through the list of clones that I could think of in my head from the Clone Wars. If there was one that they had ever talked about in the show that, you know, or I knew the name of. And so I would I was compiling a list in my head. And then I was like, oh, that's not, they're not doing that. <laughs> but that's where I went initially. Yeah, I, I like the character. I thought it was interesting. And, and again, you know, all these clones have had all these different experiences. And we've, we know from the Clone Wars TV series that there's, there's some clones don't come out quite right. You know, you, you know, bake a dozen cakes and there's always one that looks a bit wonky. So, you know, that kind of logic that nothing, nothing ever always comes out correctly. Uh, and, and this fella kind of feels like he falls into that bracket, you know, the whole sequence when they, when he's training. I love that. There was, there was one image when, the, again, they're on one of the carriers and they're all climbing up the ropes up the carriers and he was the most strong and he was the most determined and, and room up there. Legend was he killed his instructor, but you see the picture of the instructor and it, it looks like Django Fett. You got the silhouette of a, of a Mandalorian. So, you know, there's all these legends of, of uh, which kind of, I guess kind of fits now that EU has become legends, doesn't it? Um, but, you know, there's all these little bits of rumour you know, and and our main clone Hawk, you know, he's he's you know he's scenes in bars when he's going. I wouldn't trust a spacer's word. You know, it, they're all liars and cheats. And so you get the feeling that, as as it was with a lot of the Mandalorian based, the Boba Fett based stories, where to make the to make it all fit into the timeline, you realise that a lot of the stories you'd learned or heard about Boba Fett over the years were almost like spacer's tales and and rumors and legend and and this character this Kadak character kind of felt a little bit like that like the troops themselves were like wow this is clone and he's like he's a bit unhinged and and he he works out so he's like really built up so they've almost built a legend around him even to the point where they think he's dead but they're like oh but we don't actually think he's dead we think he escaped and then of course later on you find out that he did escape so so i like i thought the character was quite cool actually and didn't he name himself after like the mandalorian god of destruction or something like that yeah. That's it. Yeah. His yeah. name was forwards and backwards or something. Yeah. 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 I, I like I like one of the things that I like about the EU in legend stories is how they intertwine Mandalorian culture in with the clones. And I know the Clone Wars kind of went away from that because they're trying to establish that maybe Django wasn't actually a Mandalorian. And that's kind of up for debate even up and up until now. But I like how the EU kind of stuck with that trend. I always felt like it fit. Yeah. Yeah, so I found the page. They said that he took the first name of the Mandalorian destroyer god whose first name was Cad. So he did it forwards and then backwards and came up with Caddick. Nice. Good name. Good name. Yeah, there's always going to be rumors and, and, and sort of legends and, and, and questions over the Mandalorian history and what it's really about and you know, I think it's a it's a big church, isn't it? So there's there's lots of different ways you can interpret it. And I mean, we've got Sabine coming up on on Rebels. It'll be interesting to see how her story plays out. Is she a Mandalorian? Does she just wear the armor? Like, was Django a Mandalorian? Did he just wear the armor? You know, there's lots of different ways you can look at how it's presented. Um, and Mandalorian history goes right back to the 70s if you think about it. So so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays. So Mark, I can tell you based on the. Um rebels visual guide she oh i is, was just opening the page to it she is a mandalorian <laughs> cool okay so that's cool. i've not they, read the visual guide yet so. they say that in the visual guide um i was curious about that as well when they introduced <laughs> that character i was wondering if it was going to be you know just the armor or 
or what, but it seems like based on the visual guide that she is definitely a Mandalorian, which I think is cool. Good, very cool. Because we, you know, it, it's a uh, good thing about that. If, if she's a Mandalorian, then we're going to be hopefully <laughs> over the course of this year, learn a little bit more about, you know, about about the culture and and how it all how it all plays out, especially in that timeline as well. In that sorry, in that era, you know, between uh, Sith and Jedi, uh, Sith and A New Hope. Well, I can tell you this, Mark. She is a she's from Mandalore. She's sixteen. And she wears a Mandalorian helmet, twin Westar 35 blaster pistols, an airbrush, and art supplies, as well as explosives. She sounds like a hippie Mandalorian. I love right? the fact that she's got her art supplies with her. I just think that's really cool. You know, it's for the tagging, isn't it? It's for all the graffiti stuff, obviously. But, uh, yeah, the thought that she's got a gun, gun, guns on each holster and, and a, you know, brushes and spray cans and stuff with her. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they play that character. I was a bit unsure at first. It's like, really? Graffiti? Really? But uh, the more I've seen of it, the more I think, actually, that could be quite... She's she's sort of flying the ointment for the Empire, isn't she? She's going to bug them and, you know, get the message out. It's a clever way of... There's a lot of sort of graffiti wall art, you know, in, in Rebels from what we've seen. So I, I think, uh, yeah, that could be interesting to see how that plays out. And for clarification, because I know you've seen the, like, wolf, like, on her shoulder pad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an Anuba insignia. And Anubas are beasts found across the outer rim. Cool. Yay for the visual guide for like, Rebels. Like Embo's pet dog. Or his pet yeah. Anuba, right? Oh, the yes, I know what you mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, what? <laughs> we got sidetracked there on Rebels, but it's easy to do because I'm really excited for Rebels as well. And, I, you know, it's it's fun to speculate about that show. It is. It is. And we don't have to wait too much longer. October. October 3rd. Unless you were at San Diego Comic-Con and already saw the first episode. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> oh, so back to the comic. Um, <laughs> one of the things that is interesting about the new, you know, Empire, the army of the Empire, is that the clones or the, the people that, you know, the clones and the other people that are in the army that aren't clones um, just have plain white armor. But this guy, he decided to customize his helmet and... You know, along with the scar on his face, he did the the red stripe down the front, which I thought was kind of a cool touch uh, because he was a clone and because that's kind of how the clones, you know, they used to customize their armor. So it was it was nice to see that, you know, kind of come back. How did you guys feel about that? It took me a minute to notice it because I guess I've just gotten so used to clones and them having different colors and stuff like that. So it took me a minute. But then I was like, oh, okay, I see. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I thought it was really cool. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I've not read it anyway. It's just my impression. Um, um, my impression is that is that Vader, Anakin, if you like, would, would have been quite happy for the clones to have their own individual looks, customizations. You know, he's he's fought alongside clone troopers who've done that for years, and that's fine. Uh, obviously, Vader's got a very different MO to Anakin. We see that in, in the later issues of this series. Um, but uh, I, I always got the impression that it was it was Palpatine that would have wanted all the clone, all the stormtroopers rather, to be in white, all looking the same, exactly the same, identical. Whereas Vader would have probably given the guy the latitude to yeah, put that red scar on his on his you know his left eye because you know he's got a left scar on his left eye, isn't he, Anakin? So there's there's a shared link there between the scar on the face. So um, that's huh. that's the way I read it. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's true. Neither he, did I. He was definitely. This is why we have Mark on the show. 
he was definitely trying to impress Vader. That was very much his, you know, his purpose. You know, he he was going above and beyond in you know every battle, and really trying to catch Vader's eye, and it worked. You know, Vader, you know, began to to prefer him, and you know he started moving up in the ranks. So he was getting what he wanted. What did you guys but think? You can see that he earns it. You can see that he earns that trust and, and the responsibility that he gets because he's he's kind of a go getter, isn't he? As far as clone troopers go, he's 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 or, or stormtroopers, I should say, at this point of, of the timeline. You know, he's 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 clever and he's smart, and what he does is eye catching. And you can see that well, there's one frame when he takes on those two Trandoshans and he's getting into a bit of a fight with them, and he's blasting one and thumping another. And you can see Vader having his own little fight, looking across and checking out what he's doing. So. You know, he's definitely an eye catcher in that respect as a soldier. And he was looking for someone to follow, really. I mean, the the clones were, you know, they were used, they were bred to to follow the Jedi. And he ends up following Vader, who you know essentially was a Jedi. And you yeah. know, he's he's kind of drawn to that power, which I guess is kind of bred into them. But when he comes up against some of these other leaders in the in the army. Um, he's not as quick to follow their orders. No. No. Especially not that one general guy. (laughs) Definitely not. He basically blatantly, you know, disobeys uh, this guy's orders, and I can't remember his name now. Um, It's General Roan, I think it was. Yeah, Roan, R-O-H-N, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and so he, he basically blatantly disobeys this guy's orders and ends up brutally killing him um and that was something about this comic i think that stuck out you know across the all the all five issues is it was pretty violent you know we got we saw like you were saying earlier mark you know he was killing people with you know a rock wrapped up in you know a shirt or whatever he ends up snapping this guy's neck you know he's killing his you know he's killing the other you know troopers that he's with as well you know, blowing him up with grenades and such. So it was, you know, pretty violent comic overall. I like that scene. That scene was cool, though, because, you know, obviously the the, the opening of that scene, that the, the separatists on the planet down on um, Ostor, was it the planet? You know, they're carrying a banner uh, that says, you know, General Roan is a whatever. They never tell you, but it's pretty obvious what, what they're trying to say. And they're, they're trying to lure this guy out by, you know, stabbing at his vanity. And it perfectly works because they just do a charge of the light brigade straight in, no thought. We're the Empire, we've got the superior forces, we can take them out easily. And they get railroaded and, and absolutely wiped out. And it's it's Hawk who, who of course by this name by this point has taken a name, you know, Hawk Malsum. He's 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 a he's got a name, which Vader actually calls him his name, which I thought was an awesome scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and he can see what's happening. They're just going straight into a funnel again, they get absolutely wiped out. And I love the fact that when you think he's been in that fight and, and he's already had the thought that, well, I don't know who these guys are. These, these are conscripted men. They're not, they're not clone troopers like me. So when he goes and takes charge and thinks, you know, basically thinks, well, screw this and starts shooting clone troopers, you can kind of understand that if, if he knew they were all clone troopers, he probably wouldn't have done that. But he's thinking, I don't know who these people are. So he's quite almost quite happy to do it. He's like, well, I'm, there's no loss here. And then when he goes and takes out the general and then Vader contacts the ship, like, where's General Roan? he's dead i killed him you know because at this point he's almost there's there's a nice underlying current of of he's questioning even by this point he's following vader because he wants like you say aaron he wants to follow somebody you know clone troopers are bred to follow not bred to lead uh but even he's going well 
you know, Vader's actually not that tactically sound, is he? He's not actually that that good. And it just made me think, well, Anakin always had an Ahsoka by his side to be his sounding board, or he had a Ben who he would kind of follow, or, or a Yoda he would take the lead from. It wasn't that often that, that, that Anakin was leading off himself. Uh, and I thought it was kind of cool that on his own, even as Vader on his own, he was very much a blunt instrument. And you've seen in previous Darth Vader issues where Palpatine's not been that pleased with the results that he gets from Vader and keeps sending him out to do it again, but do it better. You know, and and, and it's funny that that Hawk kind of sees that he's actually tactically really not that that brilliant, especially when he's not on the ground. And at this point, Vader doesn't go on the ground to be the physically intimidating, scary presence that, you know, get so many jobs done. People just fold as soon as they see Darth Vader. People tend to just buckle at the knees and, and it's an easy victory. So, Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he pointed out that Vader did three things wrong, almost like he knows better than, you know, the one person he's been idolizing his whole life. Well, reborn life. Um, yeah. You know, and then... But his kind of... He has a very interesting turnaround in the comics as we get to the end that he, he maybe starts to f- see that he could be on the wrong side or following the wrong person but i don't know if he ever if he just feels that way for a little bit or if he ever really you know comes well, around the way, the way i saw it was because he was shot before he was shot during the Clone Wars and was discarded and left. You know, they, they never came back for me. You know, he says that, oh, they left me. They never came back for me. So when Order 66 happened, he, as a clone trooper, somewhere in the galaxy, unless he was on a planet that was protected from whatever triggers off Order 66, he would have not got that message to kill the Jedi. All we see him do is kill some sort of giant dog-sized rats, you know, which he does quite well, um, and and says to himself, I'm going to survive. So he's never been through that Order 66 experience. So there's a part of him that's probably still, in a way, a Republic trooper that's just got a different motivation, whereas the the clone troopers who went through Order 66 completely switched over and became drones almost, you know. Um, so so maybe he's not been through the same experiences that are, that are inverted commas, regular clone trooper that went through the Order 66 experience did. So, of course, when he sees Vader doing what Vader's doing, the awful things he does at the end, and that's really well put over in the comic. I thought that was excellent without being too sort of heavy-handed about it. You know, he's kind of repulsed. He can see the reasoning why the people on the planet are doing what they're doing, you know, the peaceful process to a certain degree and, you know, and sticking up for themselves. And he had great admiration for that Admiral Atticus Farstar, you know, the, the general on the ground, you know, he, who looked a bit like Obi-Wan with a beard. Mm-hmm. It was a nod with the drawing. You know, and, and he's like, you know, this guy was worthy of, of everybody's respect because of what happens in this battle. And, of course, you see what happens in the battle when they get the Imperials get flattened. And, and, and you know, and also the fact that it's a, a defeat for the Empire that, that's kind of wiped from the records. You know, he said, well, nobody will ever talk about this this battle. You know, we pretend it didn't happen because he lies for Vader in front of the Emperor, which was a, another very cool scene, you know. And Vader's kind of looking at him like, well, I never asked you to do that, you know. He'd never say thank you, but there's all, there's one panel where he's he's got his hand on Vader's got his hand on his shoulder, right? You know, it's almost like he's took him under his wing. But whilst Vader's trusting him and taking him under his wing, at the same time he's thinking he's starting to think, well, actually, this guy is more of a monster than I realised. You know, I, I don't want to follow this guy. Whereas a clone trooper or, or or a clone trooper that's become a stormtrooper wouldn't have those second thoughts. He'd just do it because he's been through properly 
properly inverted commas been through order 66 that was just something that mate I, I'm, I'm extrapolating a lot here but that's just the way it read to me yeah I think his I think his faith in Vader started to crumble when he realized you know he ended up having to be the one to save Vader's skin and cover for him in front of the Emperor and so I think he, the hero you know the, he was looking at Vader as this big hero this infallible legend and then I think that started to crumble and then as he as the story went on and he sees Vader do all the evil things that he did to the people in the city the innocents you know there's a scene where he is standing there in front of a child which is something yeah. that we know is something Vader will do you know he kills younglings so you know just the fact that they kind of remind us of that and he's standing there in front of this kid with a lightsaber and you know very much implying that he cut that that kid down you know i think be you know starting with the crumbling of the faith in him with the bad strategy you know finalized by his brutality you know he no longer saw vader as the person he thought he was and you know completely changed the way he thought about who he was following yeah and i don't know if that scene made you guys feel the same way that made me feel but when I you see that page and he's standing there and the kids in front of him and all I got was the same flood of emotions, the exact same ones I got from the scene when I watched Revenge of the Sith, because I I could just tell it was the exact same feeling, and I almost just wanted to stop reading. I was like, "Where's the pause button?" <laughs> yeah, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. I mean, that scene in Sith. I think he's. I mean, I've got friends who've got kids. I don't have kids. I've got nephews and nieces, but no kids of my own. Uh, and I've got friends who've got kids who, when the film came out, they, were, they felt probably the same as I do. Well, that conveys what they're trying to get across really, really strongly, and it's it's very well done. But now they've got kids, they're like, they're very, very anti that scene, and they they don't like the thought that hey, this this massive iconic sci-fi character Darth Vader is now a child murderer, and there's no two ways about it. You know, you can't sugarcoat it. That's what he is. And I kind of like the fact that Dark Horse, throughout their run, haven't shied away from the fact that. They're not sugarcoating it. I wonder how it will be going forward through the Disney era, and especially with the Marvel comics, whether or not they'll they'll shy away from that. And you'll you'll just see him force choking bad naughty Imperials as opposed to slicing down toddlers, basically. You know, because Vader's Vader's conscience died when Padme died, I think. You know, and and he he sleeps reasonably well if you want to put it in those terms. We know he's tortured by the loss of Padme. He's tortured by the loss of his mother, but I don't think he lost much sleep over all the innocents that he killed via a Star Destroyer in orbit or hand-to-hand with a lightsaber or chucking them off a cliff with a force or whatever it was. They're just, they're just, you know, they're just pixels on the computer screen that you shoot down whilst you're playing, you know, whatever you're playing. The computer, you know what I mean? It's, it's, they're not real to him. He's not seeing them as people or as, as things. He's, they're just in his way. Yeah, I think Revenge of the Sith kind of ruined the character of Darth Vader for me um, and Anakin just because it's one of those things where like in the original trilogy he was just like a cool bad guy you know but in Revenge of the Sith when you when you kind of realize what he did to become Darth Vader and you know the innocence that he killed and you know like you were saying the children there's you know there's no doubt about what he did in killing the younglings it's like man I really can't look at that character positively at all anymore because of he's just such a bad person yeah yeah but i kind of i mean it's not nice to think of those things and it's not nice to see it but 
But there's, you know, the, the, the Imperials, and, and I'll make a, maybe a contentious analogy, but the Imperials are supposed to kind of be like the Nazis, aren't they? They're, they're, they're driven to do these awful things. They justify it in their own political ways. You know, um, you know even down to the fact that the, the empire that we know from, from what we now call legends, very few women in the empire. They're, they're sexist. There's very few aliens. They're racist. You know, they're, they're very much, a, you know, they've got a specific kind of type of person they want to represent them. Um, and that's how we understand the empire, because they're fascists. You know, that's their MO. That's their politics. They're, they're fascists, you know, and they're following the empire, the emperor's sort of PR spin on let's give the galaxy the security and the protection that it deserves. Not what it wants, but what it deserves, you know. So there's this very different sort of um, motivations, excuse me, very different motivations going on for why they do what they they do. It's very clear that that's that's the way they're going to follow it. So so to have Vader, you know, you you it's I think it's always better, isn't it, when you kind of imagine what somebody you know these these why is Vader so respect? Why is he so feared? Why is he so respected? What did he do that would make people, you know, crumble apart from the fact that he's you know seven foot tall in black armor with a lightsaber, you know. Um, but uh, so, uh, but yeah, Sith. I, I got mixed feelings, but I think, yeah, I, I suppose it, in a way it was always going to go in that direction. But to actually see it and that scene that Teresa refers to with the kids in, you know, in the temple, that's not nice. That's not a nice scene. But but he did it. You know, he was ordered. He just turned to the dark side and he did it. So it's tough. It's tough. To what makes about. it worse is he did it as Anakin before he had really, really turned into Darth Vader, like. It was like the first thing he did, and that makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. Master yeah. Skywalker. Oh, God. <laughs> that was very good. That was very well done. <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, it's, 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 so sad. Yeah. So sad. Was that Liam? Wasn't that boy's name Liam or something like that? The Bear Clan? Yeah, well, he was in episode, wasn't he in episode two or something as well? He's he, When um, Obi-Wan comes in and he's looking for Kamina. I think so. I think it's the same kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, poor, he didn't make it, unfortunately. He's like, no, um, no. That so, is not Kanan. No, that's not Kanan. Oh. Um, so what, did, were you guys surprised to see that Darth Vader's still flying around in a Jedi starfighter? Painted black? I thought, yeah, I like that. I thought it was that was kind of cool. It seems like a small ship for Vader. It doesn't seem like the biggest ship in the world, does it? It just seemed very... Very sort of compact, but I suppose that was the model that they were flying around in at the time. So yeah, and Anakin's used to that ship, isn't he? You know that that model of uh, I forget the model, the specific model, but um, yeah, uh, it was weird, but yeah, I like it. It looks looked the part. I think it's called like an ETA something. I don't know. ETA, that's it. I always remember the Athos right, but I can never remember the one that followed it. ETA, that's right. Yeah, and it's got its own little uh, you know black uh, astromech. Yeah. Which I'm kind of curious yeah, what the designation on that one is. It's like a R2DX, maybe. Well, if I'm <laughs> never going to find out the name of the Jedi, then you're never going to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest with the ship, I didn't notice, but I think that's just because I don't tend to notice those kind of things. Uh, yeah, that stuck out to me just because it's such a, a recognizable ship, um, you know, from the, the battle at the beginning of. Revenge of the Sith, you know, that's what Obi-Wan and Anakin are flying around in. So when you see it in here, painted black with Darth Vader inside, it almost seems like a, you know, kind of uh, blasphemy, I guess, to have him <laughs> flying around in a Jedi starfighter. And then I guess we get the return of the the crazy clone, 
which I was kind of surprised. You know, I I wasn't surprised that he came back. I knew that was going to happen. But then kind of the reveal that, you know, he wasn't quite this, you know, monster that, that he had imagined, that Hawk had imagined that he would be. And I thought that was a nice yeah. little twist. Again, very brutal scenes. But yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I like that. Like you say, you, because this book, it, it doesn't, it doesn't um, handhold you through it. It doesn't signpost things and it doesn't telegraph things. So you've got to kind of read a little bit and go, well, is this, is this a story that has, that's been told to him by a spacer? Or is this something that he's remembering himself? And so you look back to the early issues and you, like you say, you see that same, he looks like Bane from the Batman comics, doesn't he? You know, he's like hulking great big like, like dirge look before he thing you know just great big hulking shoulders and you think well this monster's going to come along like somebody out the wwf and try and rip him a new one <laughs> and then you see him for real and he just it's just another one of him really you know uh, so that was that was very i like that the fact that you know he got the legend in his head but when he actually saw the guys it's like oh well, it's just another one of me or like another one of me you know that have been through tremendously different experiences yeah I liked him. I liked, but I didn't like how quickly he fell because they kind of built him up at the beginning. And so I thought it would be a longer fight, but. Yeah, I agree. I was, I was a little disappointed how easily he went down. And he did the jacket thing again. Yeah. Yeah. That's his move. That's definitely his, that's his, uh, if this is the PlayStation, that would be his, his, his power move, wouldn't it? You know, Mortal Kombat, you know, that would be his yeah. special move. Just... You know, grab, a, grab a brick and wrap it in a pair of trousers and just hit somebody around <laughs> the head with it. <laughs> I'd see socks full of billiard balls or whatever, you know, that's what he uses. Yeah. So to kind of wrap this up, um, how did you guys feel about the, uh, the ending? Um, you know, kind of he was writing all this down and almost that he wanted to kind of pass it on to his, his children or his child uh, so the memory of this would live on. But then I guess he got kind of spooked and ended up throwing it all in the fire. I actually kind of liked that. I liked being able to see him happy with, you know, somebody and married and everything. And then him seeing that shadow, I just thought was really funny. But I guess the funny part is when you just see her standing there with like a bowl of fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I like that scene. I thought that scene was cool because obviously... He's used to his wife with the with the vader shaped hair, so it wouldn't have shocked him at all. Us as a reader are like, oh, hang on, here we go. Vader's done it again. He's tracked somebody down. He's took him out, and it wasn't. And I liked the fact that he'd written it all down by hand, which I thought was cool. Uh, and and it was almost like, I mean, the first Vader comic that that we really remember as a standalone Vader comic was was Purge, you know. And it felt to me when this guy was kind of purging himself of all these nasty thoughts and memories, and he like to say he wanted to get it down and get it out of it, you know. Half the time when you're annoyed with somebody, instead of shooting him you know, out of mouth off straight away, the best thing is to go away and write it down, get your thoughts out of your head and, and write it down and get, put some order. And nine times out of ten, you'll just chuck that paper away because you've, you've sorted itself. You've sorted it in your head. You've got it sorted out. And that's what it felt like to, to me was that's what um, Hawk was doing. He was just getting it out of himself and getting it into some sort of order in paper. And, and when he chucks it on the fire, it's like, okay, you don't need to see what happens after that. You, you just assume that as much as somebody can in that sort of post order 66 galaxy until the galactic civil war kicks off, he just lives his life quietly with his wife and, and presumably kids and, and lives a happy life. So I like the ending of that. I thought it was cool. 
Well, let's all kind of give our final thoughts here. I'll go first, and then we can, uh, uh, then Teresa can go, and then Mark, you can you can go last. But um, for me, I was pleasantly surprised. Like I said before, I was not excited for another Darth Vader comic. Just wanted to get through this one, but was surprised that the story wasn't wasn't necessarily about Darth Vader, but more about this clone. And I, you know, I've always liked the idea of, you know, exploring some of the storylines of these clones who survived the war and, you know, what they did with their lives. So as soon as I saw that the story was about a clone, I was in- instantly more interested and very surprised by how much I liked this one. You know, overall, I thought it was a really solid story and I was I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, I would be about the same. Um, I actually really liked it because I liked that it was focused on the clone rather than being on Darth Vader. Um, and I liked the art. Um, I didn't really like how violent it was, but I did rather enjoy it. I was pleasantly surprised again. I enjoyed it. I like. I do like the Darth Vader series because um, I think there's there's a, there's stories to be told about how he's how his legend was built uh, and how he learned to to control the forces the way he did. Because Anakin and Vader are obviously two very different beasts, and the expectations upon them are very different as well. So, um, you know, Anakin was leading men into battle one on one and you know, and, and it seemed like a very different sort of um, expectation for him. So I like I like the Vader comics where he's le- learnt also learning to deal with the Emperor as well, because you know, even though he's the chosen one and the, you know, and, the, and he's been prophesized and here he is and he's doing all the things that he's supposed to do, he's still treated like a naughty schoolboy sometimes by the Emperor. So I kind of like that. This again felt like it almost felt a bit like Blood Ties when you you know you, the, the, the Boba Fett comic, you know, or the Django that whole storyline, you know, where you're seeing it through a clone's point of view. And seeing Vader from a distance, so Vader is is a character in this Vader series, not the vocal character in the Vader series. Um, I liked it. I really liked, and I liked this character, this hot character. I thought he was cool. I um, I don't suppose we'll ever see or read or hear from him again. But if we did, I'd be more than happy to to hear it. But then his story wraps up nicely at the end, so I kind of like that as well. It's it's a, a nice tight five issue, self contained. I love the artwork. It reminded me of a Marvel artist called Brett Blevins from way back. He used to do mute, new mutant stuff. There was just an element of the, of the artwork that reminded me of that. And uh, yeah, it was violent, but it was a violent time. So I, I, I kind of, um, I kind of accept that um, because of the nature of what was happening on that planet on Ostor as well. It was, you know, it was a, uh, a planet being subjugated. So all in all, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. Well, Mark, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you and find the stuff you're doing? Oh, blimey. Um, too much stuff. Too much stuff. Uh, uh, obviously, at Jedi News, which is um, we try to push the envelope there and, and uh, do some good stuff over there, which I hopefully hopefully people are enjoying. Uh, Radio 1138, um, the podcast, which is uh, now bi-weekly uh, via Rebel Force Radio. So that's going OK. We, we didn't do an episode in August because uh, we thought we'd have a little break. I had a holiday, so that was nice. Um, uh, I do stuff over at stalls.com so I'm, I'm one of the featured bloggers over there so there's a couple of things coming there every month which is nice uh, Stars Insider I do the My Star Wars and Red 5 sections mostly uh, and as well as other little bits and bobs there's things going on there uh, I'll write for the Metro in the UK which is the UK's biggest free newspaper so I write for their blogs and blimey, hopefully that's that's it because I don't think there's enough hours in the day to do anything else <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there is one other thing. I, I contribute to a podcast called The Nomcast every other Monday, which is a good fun. It's with an old, one of my oldest friends, my best man at my wedding, John Hicks, and his wife, Lisa, uh, and a lady called Nancy Petrie. So the four of us will just talk about general geek stuff. So it's not all Star Wars, although the latest episode was. But uh, that's a lot of fun. A bit more adult. We, we kind of go a little bit off the tracks and 
there's some naughty words in there, but it's it's good fun to just let your hair down every now and again. So so that's a, that's a good laugh. Wow, I never knew that. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I learn new things every day. Well, on our next episode, we will be reviewing Legacy Volume Three: Wanted. Anya Solo, and then Star Wars Rebels Ezra's Gamble, the junior novel. So start reading them now so you can listen to our next episode. You can find us on Twitter. We're at SWBookworms. Our email is StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. Go and like us over on Facebook for our latest updates. Aaron does a really good job on our Facebook page um, leaving books and comic news there. And as always, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Five-star ones are our favorite. And we need more reviews, guys. So if you listen to our show and you like it, uh, head on over to iTunes. We don't have nearly enough reviews over there. The more reviews we get, the more people can find our podcast. Um, you can find Aaron on Twitter. He's at AV Goins. And Teresa is at Ice Cold Penguin on Twitter and on Instagram. Follow her Instagram for all her fun photos. Yeah, fun ones. Usually Disney and... My Little Pony and Harry Potter related, but sure, it's lots of fun. Well, as always, keep on reading, and may the Force be with you.